we do the things that we think are good and right. I certainly didn't take the seed of an idea of Commander and plant it and water it and grow it, thinking, this is where I'm going to make my mark on the world. Mm. It's just the thing I was doing. Commander has always been a social format first. There are people that have been shut out of the conversation or discouraged from the conversation, and we don't want that to happen. I really want things to be open, and you can actually find us on the Discord server. Um, I know one of the criticisms of years gone by was that the RC was this sort of ivory tower group that never talked to anybody. I actively spend time on the Discord server. Come talk to me. Just come talk to me. And if I can, if I can do anything to remove roadblocks for anybody to sort of maximizing their commander experience, I'm going to give it a whirl. There are times when darkness can come on you and you, you think pretty morbid thoughts, especially when you're in pain or feeling bad. What if this is as good as it gets? Those are the times you really have to count on your support network. I have an amazing partner, a great group of local friends, and a worldwide community that's rooting for me. Sheldon Menry, how are you doing today, sir? I am amazing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and uh, apologies for not following up earlier. I know this is kind of like the nitty-gritty of logistics stuff, but mm -hmm. it's been a pretty, uh, to put it succinctly, pretty hectic couple of months on, on my end, and uh, I don't know. How, how are things going with you, General? I mean, you, well, you said good, but hopefully you yeah, know, it, it's been good overall. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good. You know, um, my health is on the upswing. Um, I'm getting back to doing events. Uh, yeah, I just got back from just got back from um, SCG Con Indianapolis, ready to head off to Magic Con Philadelphia. So it's just it's magic all the time, man. Yeah, I mean, as a convention and magic veteran by now, just super distinguished veteran. Like, what is that? <laughs> how does it feel now? Like going to an event? Is it just? Is it just a blur? Is it? Are you like Mark Rosewater? It's like you're hitting like the two thousands. Um, location and X years, like, how, how does it feel? Well, it's, I mean, I, it's always fun to me to find, um, even in cities that I've been to before, um, th things and people that are new. Like, I might go to Harry and Izzy's in Indianapolis every time I go, but I'm probably going to go with somebody that I haven't been with before. So there's, you know, there's always, there's always a newness to it. Um, I, I refuse to let myself get jaded um, by the convention experience. Um, my first big con was Gen Con 93. Um, so it's, you know, and I, and I would certainly I was certainly going, oh, 100% chance of cat crimes, by the way, here. On <laughs> no problem. I got, I got a couple on my side, too, so I'll, I'll, um, <laughs> they might come up in the background. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've, I've been going to cons for a long time, and I certainly went to smaller conventions um, for a number of years before that. Um, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know, I, I don't know at this point, if, 
at my age and sort of experience level that I'm ready to just go as a normal convention goer anymore. There's um there is something nice about having a little bit of privilege um and you know being able to go to the dealer's hall at Gen Con an hour before everybody um you know before before they let the big crowd in or whatever. Um but I, yeah uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to get too like been there done that about cons because they're still exciting. There's there's something to do. There's always something to do and when when we're playing when we play a game as alive as magic, there's always a new experience to have. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, from ninety three Gen Con to now have conventions changed a lot? Because I haven't gone to conventions back then. I'm wondering if it's like for you, is it just the, obviously your role has shifted, as you said, maybe you're more of a, a guest of honor with perks as opposed to Joe Blow, right? But mm -hmm. do you feel like the thing has, the, the convention itself has actually evolved over the decades or is it oh, pretty absolutely. much like- I mean, okay. when, that, when we went in 1993, it was Gen Con was still in Milwaukee. Oh uh, um, yeah. And uh, uh, there's actually a story there. So uh, at that time, I had been involved with the RPGA for a few years, running D&D games at conventions and stuff. Um, and it was, it was back then, like today, like you had to make your Gen Con plans early if you wanted to get a decent hotel room. And hadn't... I decided I didn't really, you know, hadn't made plans to go. I mean, I was in the military and planning leave was a thing. Um, and in May or something, um, Gene Raby, the head of the RPGA, was like, come to Gen Con and run games for us. And I'm like, Gene, you know, you got to get your reservations in January. It's like, don't worry about it. I'll get you a place. Like, okay. So she manages, you know, comes back to me and says, got your place. It's not right by the convention center. It's about a mile up the road, but it's a straight shot down the road. No problems. I'm like, okay. Uh, and um, I went with, uh, I, I, we drove from, I was at the Pentagon. Um, and we <laughs> drove from Washington, D.C. to Milwaukee. So it's a two-day drive. Um, and it was me, my ex-wife, and another couple, um, uh, two friends of mine, um, Tom and Jay. And we get to the, we get to Milwaukee and find the, oh, there's the Mecca, you know, and, um, that's where we're going to be. And find the hotel. And it's a hotel where people stay by the week kind of thing um not you know one of those one of those uh, city hotels that you see on the tv shows where there's always um you know that guy that hangs out in the lobby and uh you know there there are a few people that are down on their luck uh, ranging around um i'm like okay this uh that's what it is 
right? It wasn't, it's not that expensive. Uh, we're okay. Get up into the room and it's a, it's, it's like, it's a suite. It's like two master bedrooms and a kitchen and everything. It's, you know, it's more like an apartment than a hotel room. Like, okay, this is fine. So we stay there, have a good con, blah, blah, blah. We find out, I think, I think in the third or fourth day that we're at the convention, we tell, tell somebody where we're staying and they're like, yeah, one of the locals. Um, yeah. And like, did you say whatever the name of the place is? I'm like, yeah. Well, that's where Jeffrey Dahmer claimed its first victim. <laughs> Historic like, landmark. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we did a little investigation. We were staying in the, we were actually staying in the room. In the actual room. In the Not actual just the hotel, room. but in the actual yeah. room. In where the actual the, room. Where the things happened. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. I'm, wow. I'm glad I didn't okay. open the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, cons were, I mean, even Gen Con, even a 25,000 person convention, which is what I think it was back then, um, seemed a little quaint. Um, yeah. In retrospect, I mean, to the, to the wide-eyed convention going me in 1993, of course, this was a grand experience. Um, yeah. I didn't, uh, Gen Con back then was organized in four-hour blocks. So there was, um, you know, block one through 13 or whatever um, for the weekend, and uh, or 16 or, um, and I was running games in 13 of the 16 slots. Holy smokes. You mean you personally yeah. were there? Like Yeah, I was there. I was there, like I was there the running station. the games, um, so I did. Uh, and I only had one... I only had one slot uh, where the dealer's hall was open that I wasn't working. Yeah. And that happened to be the slot. I was walking through the dealer's room and there was, um, I saw the booth of this company called Wizards of the Coast. And I knew them as a role-playing game company. They had just, they recently come out with a sort of system agnostic um, supplement mm -hmm. uh, that was really, you know, was well-written, well-received and whatnot. I was like, Oh, let's go to the coast. You know, let's go see what the fuss so is. So you mean like it was something that worked with like D and D GURPS, like it worked with different yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was, engines, yeah. okay, yeah, across all systems. Um, uh, it, I I think there were no there were no mechanics in the supplement. It was you know, oh, okay. it was all just narrative stuff. Um, so like when you when you saw that booth or when you saw Magic, like what was the first um, who was the first employee that was there? from wizard side like did you interact no with anybody clue. like okay I, I, mean, it was I just, don't remember anybody it was just the product itself that you remember obviously yeah, yeah. i mean again there were people playing um and i'm sure peter was there uh and there, peter were Atkinson, playing. Right? there was yeah. like this this real excitement about the game and i'm like huh well that's kind of interesting you know it's fantasy adjacent it's um cards uh and you know it looks like a game and I grabbed a starter, a starter and a booster, and uh, like walk away from the table. I'm like, oh, well, you know, we'll we'll check this out as we go through our pile of goodies that we get from the con later on. 
Yeah. And um, I, I remember walking away from the table, op- uh, wa- opening the booster pack. Like, okay, well, the, you know, like the starter deck was, you know, had the shrink wrap and everything. And yeah, like, a little bit more work. Like, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to mess with that. Um, let me let me just open this booster pack, and uh, the first the first magic card I think I looked at was Time Walk. Ah, okay. So this had to be beta, I assume. Yeah, yeah Alpha. This okay. was the this was the con that Magic was released. This was well, this is this was Alpha. Okay, this, this was, was like this the super was, short yeah, Alpha. Was the first program. time that the broader public had seen Magic. Okay. Okay. Uh, were you immediately hooked? Like, did you start to try to learn how to play? How did it work? Um, so, so my ex-wife and one of our friends tried to figure out how to play magic in the car on the way back to DC. Perfect. Like we're riding, riding back <laughs> and they're back there. They're back in the back. And I was like, okay, yeah. I don't understand. Um, and it was probably a month from the time we got home to the first time I played mm-hmm. and I was hooked right away. Like, yeah, like veteran bodyguard probably is the card that <laughs> <laughs> like veteran bodyguard. This is amazing. Yes. Um, and then, you know, we went through that, we went through that moment of, uh, how can you lose once you get prodigal sorcerer out? Right. Right. <laughs> It had a little bit of like maybe off. not fully understanding the rules and all that stuff too, right? Yeah. yeah. So we dug in and um, uh, I, I started like, again, when, once I started playing, I'm like, this team is insanely good. And I was hooked right away. Uh, left the country in early 94, took it with me when I, when I went to Europe and I was in Belgium. Um, uh, took it with me played with some of the Americans over there, got to know um, the, 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 the cards Belgium. were printed in Belgium, by the way, right? It was Cardamundi. They were in yeah, Cardamundi. Yeah, they were yeah, yeah. In okay. Belgium, that, a little bit of coincidence in that. Yeah. Um, I got involved with running events, got involved, eventually became a judge, rest its history kind of thing. Right, right. I do want to quickly ask, like, how... What made you decide to join the Air Force? I know this is like a little bit of a, a detour, but I wanted to ask you something that I was just insanely curious about that perhaps other people have not asked you. So like, um, how did, how did that happen for you? I was, I, I wanted to do something different. I was, um, 20 years old, um, playing rock and roll and, uh, waiting tables like every you know, not yet successful musician does. Um, and just, there was a, it was 1983, it was late 1983. And I was like, I need to change. I wasn't, I don't think I was headed in a good direction in my life. Um, there was a lot of excess, uh, cause it was rock and roll. It was 1983. Um, and, uh, it, I really, I popped into a recruiter's office on a whim, like really, like there was no plan. I'm like, huh, wonder, you know, wonder what they could offer me. And, um, I started talking to recruiters. He's like, well, you know, if, uh, there'll be an audition and whatnot, we could put you in one of the bands. I'm like, I, that's not what I want to do. Right. I, I don't want to, I don't want to do the same thing that I'm doing now. And, you know, 
I'm probably not going to get to do some of the same things that I'm doing anyway. And uh, it's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> 20. I, 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 I'm, I'm certain I didn't say it, but I didn't have the self-awareness to say that. But, yeah. you know, I didn't know. So uh, I'm like, I don't really know. But computers. He's like, okay, there's some tests that you can take. And we can get you in a computer career field with a year, you know, a guaranteed job. It's like, and I talked to some people like, don't go into the Air Force without a guaranteed job, because you you'll end up as a security policeman. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so I took the test, um, passed the test, went to school, learned computers. Um, the career field quickly adapted um, from computers to computers and communications. Uh, so by the time I retired in 2004, uh, things looked very different from, um, from two decades earlier. Uh, mm. like, you know, my first job was operating a mainframe computer, a Burroughs 3500 computer, which was the size of a circuit city. Well, I was going to say size of a room, but even bigger than that. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, with disk drives that were washing machines and, um, yeah. and high impact printers and uh, punch cards and paper tape and, you know, all that kind of stuff to, uh, you know, to things being considerably more digital by the time, by the time I retired. So you were a 20 year air force veteran mm -hmm. and I did everything from operate a, um, a technical communications van in the mud in Korea to doing computer security for Dick Cheney when he was Secretary of Defense. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, so there, was I mean, a, there, there was an arc there. <laughs> there is definitely an arc, yes. Um, did you ever go back to playing music? Did you do it part-time while you were... I did, did part-time while I was in the service. Um, matter of fact, when I, when I was in Korea, um, uh, I had a pretty good band with um, some other Air Force uh, members, and we played a couple of shows downtown um, at uh, one of the big hotels. Uh, you know, it's a it's a one-year remote assignment. You don't really have a lot of time to to work together too much. Mm -hmm. But I had, yeah, I had a band, um, the, my, my assignment before that was at Keflavik Naval Air Station in Iceland, which is a Navy, a Navy base. And I had, um, I had a band with some very good musicians, a mix of, uh, Air Force and Navy, um, guy, a guy named Michael Jackson, who, uh, played the drums and was, uh, was insanely good. Um, mm -hmm. and... Yeah, and then in Korea, I, we, like, in about three months, we tightened, we got together a pretty tight act and played a couple of shows at the at the big spots in um, in downtown San Francisco. What, what was the style of music you guys played and what instruments uh, you played? Hard rock. Um, hard rock. Like, we were, we were covering um, Night Ranger, Sticks, 
um, maybe a little of the the hair metal that had started by then, um, not too much, but yeah, Van Halen. Uh, we did we even did a couple of Rush tunes um, uh, that I had uh, like our drummer was not capable of. <laughs> we were playing Rush songs. <laughs> our, our drummer was not capable. Um, you know, we yeah. were we were rehearsing one day, and um, I just I started. I started ad-libbing on the keyboards and the structure of the song fell apart. And we like, we all kind of look at the drummer and like, what happened? And he's like, I was following you. <laughs> <laughs> when you have the circular following each other. Yeah. <laughs> that always ends up well. Um, I mean, overall, what, what would you say other than operating, you know, mainframe computers, like what, what would you say are your kind of big takeaways from being in the air force? Like what did it, what did it teach you or what did it reveal to you? What did it reveal to Well, I mean, it certainly, it certainly made me have a, a sense of discipline that I didn't have before. Um, and probably don't have now. <laughs> it's been a while since then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, I mean, there, there is the structure to, to things. And, you know, uh, it taught me, uh, it taught me about, um, making plans to do things, even if you do them regularly, like having a, having a continuity book to, to do everything you do, um, uh, which certainly some of my training and experience as an Air Force NCO ported over into the judge program. Like when when I became a judge, there was a bunch of stuff I didn't need to learn because I already knew it. Right? There was mm-hmm. a bunch of leadership um, things that that were already part of my um, my skill set that I didn't really need to, to to come into the program and learn. So I could just kind of jump right in at a relatively high level. Um, but the, I mean, it was, it was an opportunity. I, I went some, I went some very interesting places. Uh, the, the six years that I spent in, in Belgium were kind of, for the most part, outside the Air Force. I mean, I still wore a uniform. I still went to, you know, an Air Force job, but we were writing air defense software for the NATO countries. And we mm. were, I mean, it was, it was like going to an office every day. We, right. Like we literally couldn't go to work on the weekend. Yeah. Right. The place was closed. Um, the, uh, the, everything was, was designed more like a civilian work center than a military one. I was going to say maybe more like civilian life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. and we got all the, we got all the, the European holidays instead of the American ones, which meant we got a lot more holidays. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is that is a nice perk. So what what's something about Belgium that most people don't know about? Like, for example, I've never even been to Belgium. So like, what, what, um, what's cool about it? Belgium has, an, has a great food culture, um, uh, well, you know, uh, mostly influenced by the French. Um, they're their southern neighbor, uh, but the you can just you can find like insanely good restaurants just out in the countryside. Like go to random dot village and the one restaurant in the village uh, is 
something that that um, you know uh, today's uh, Iron Chef wannabes would be very very happy to to put in front of you. Um, yeah. The and the like just uh, it's kind of where I got really excited about about food and wine. Um, I was just like it was in the right part of my life, uh, yeah. Where uh, I was surrounded by people who appreciated food and, and and good booze, and we spent some time enjoying ourselves. And uh, I got to eat in some very very uh, compelling restaurants and uh, and share it with some very very compelling people. Um, so Belgium, yeah, Belgium, uh, Belgium, a great sort of. Uh, Great, um, gastronomically, mm-hmm. best beer in the world. Uh, Belgian beer, yes. Belgian beer. <laughs> I, I I miss I miss drinking the Abbey beer regularly. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you about wine. So it sounds like you developed that that love, or maybe refined that love in Belgium. And, I did, uh, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. So are you are you still drinking? Um, Wine from France or Belgium these days, or well, how's I that mean, working? The, the Belgians don't make too much wine because they're a little too far north. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have a we have uh, about an eight hundred bottle wine cellar here at the house. Um, Holy smokes! Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we, we 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 drink wine on the regular. I mean, I my uh, uh, my health treatments have, have meant that I've had to mostly slow down, but, uh, we still enjoy good bottles of good wine, uh, on the regular. Sure. Yeah. Is that a, is that going to be a new show like commander and wine or is that, is that yeah. something that's always been in the works? Or? Pairing always. Yeah. Always pairing. It's going to be, uh, yeah. Me and Brian David Marshall are going to do, a um, uh, a cooking, a, a cooking and magic show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So he told me that you take him to the best fine dining spots in Florida when he visits, right? I do. So, yeah. So what, what are the, what are your go-to spots in Florida? Are you at liberty <laughs> to say, or are they secret? They're not secret at all. That's because, that's because I love my friend, Brian. And, um, the, I believe the best restaurant in Florida is in Tampa and it's a place called Mise en Place and it's, um, I think they're celebrating their 33rd or 34th year in business now, maybe 35. Okay. Um, and it's, um, um, chef is obviously classically trained. Um, and it's sort of a, uh, low country, new American take on classic cuisine. So, there's just, um, you know, there's, there are regular things on the menu. He's, you know, he's got the same rack of lamb that he's been making since the nineties or whatever. Um, but then there's always something new and different. And, uh, he, he shops locally. He, he likes to go fresh, you know, whatever he goes to the market for, you know, he goes to the market and finds something in the morning. It's like, we're putting that on the menu for the next two weeks or whatever. Um, and, uh, he, he is the, he is the best that I've seen with duck. Like he, 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 
has done more exciting things with duck than um than any any chef i've ever been exposed to um at one point he was doing ghost pepper duck wings on his bar menu and uh one day we went in and they weren't on the menu anymore. I'm like, chef, what's up? And he's like, you were the only person eating them. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Did you lobby him to get it back? Or? No, the, there, there was, there was always more than enough. Yeah. To, to eat there. Um, and then locally, locally here, uh, there, in Tampa, there's another, another very exciting place called, um, Edison food labs. And uh, they're, again, they're just chef who was a sous chef under Marty at Maison Place, now that I think about it, um, opened her own spot. And um, she's just one of those experimenters, and you never know what's going to be on that menu. And she just hits it out of the park every time. Like, there are no misses on the menu at Edison. Um, locally, uh, here in Lakeland. So I live in Lakeland, which is halfway between Tampa and Orlando. So like, I'm basically at the geographic center of Florida, mm-hmm. um, uh, in Lakeland. I mean, Lakeland is 120,000 people or something. It's not tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a restaurant called 1961, which is named after the chef's, um, father's entry to the United States from Cuba. That was the year he came oh, here. Okay. Um, you know, stuff was happening in Cuba in 1961. Definitely was. Yeah. Um, and uh, he is a, he basically is neo-Latin, uh, very um, heavily Peruvian um, with, with some Asian influence. Um, and he really knows what to do with his red meat. Like he's a, he's a beef and pork um kind of guy i mean there are other things on the menu but um i'm i'm forever diving right in that's the go-to for you yeah Yeah. i mean there there was once that he had there was like flank steak appetizer flank steak main course and i'm like i'm all in for both (laughs) (laughs) sounds Uh, like your city is no slouch either then when it comes to no no i mean it uh, i mean uh, i think it's lagging behind other places of a similar size because we only had like one or two really good spots instead of you know four or six like mm-hmm. like if i go roanoke roanoke virginia and um and lakeland are about the same size um uh, population wise and like i can i can go to an event at uh, star city and not have any repeats in a week um, mm-hmm. of the places mm-hmm. i want to go Whereas here, I'm like, uh, you know, after we get outside one or two, we're, we're, we're kind of going back. Right. But there's advantages to being kind of like the midpoint between um, two major yeah. uh, cities in Florida, because then you're, it, it's kind of a nice uh, place to be if you're into food and wine, because you can kind of go between the, yeah, the both, two. Yeah. Both are definitely in play. Um, we're about half an hour from the gate at Disney. So... So celebration and downtown Disney or whatever they're calling that now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and the sort of Western edge of Orlando are 
close enough to go to um, restaurant wise, and and all of Tampa is in play for us. So um, yeah. we you know we're frequently my wife my wife either works at home or is traveling. So you know frequently when I'm when you know well back in the back in the before times um, we would we would plan restaurant trips around her coming back from a business trip. Like, mm. oh, you know, you land at 7.30, well, conveniently, <laughs> that's dinner time. the dinner hour. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, going back to your, um, uh, you know, becoming a judge, right? And because mm-hmm. I, I think you, 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 you went all the way to level five judge. Is that what it was? Correct. Okay. Um, when did that happen? Was it, I guess it must've been like in the nineties you started judging. Okay. I started judging in 1996. Uh, okay. I certified as a judge at the first ever Grand Prix, um, in Amsterdam. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, I went to play and I scrubbed out, I didn't scrub out. I mean, I, I like went like three, two and one or something. So it just didn't make day two and was wandering around looking for something to do uh, on day two. And uh, somebody at the, the Wizards of the Coast booth was like, hey, you, um, do you know the rules of magic? I'm like, I do, because I had been running events by that that point. I do. Like, Would you like to become a judge? I'm like, I, I don't know. What does a judge do? So we had a conversation. And uh, uh, back then, you tested directly into a level based on your score on the test. Oh, interesting. So okay. I, I actually that... was never a level one judge. Okay. So, so straight into right level, level two. I went right to level two um, and then started working, uh, working about actually the, the first event I ever did was right there after I took the, after I passed the test, they put me in a grand melee like yeah. one of those 40 players things where um, you know, like there's a judge for every five players and you rotate when it was, it was crazy stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I just started doing events for the local Belgian TOs and got involved with the, um, the, the regional and um, national championships. I, I actually played a couple of times in the national championships um and then got involved in the european championships as a judge and yeah again rest is history yeah i mean i'm curious like how did it work back then when players or magic players didn't even know what judges were like because nowadays it's people will just know okay i have to call a judge for this and there's sort of this ingrained knowledge right but in the early days like what did you, what did judges have to do? Did you have to practically go to like games and see what's going on? Like, we were, cause we were I'm sure people didn't know we, how to, didn't know to call judges. Right. Yeah. We were making it up as we went along. Really. Um, we didn't have the, we didn't have the staffing levels that we have, you know, there's a, there's a metric for how many judges per player you're supposed to have for whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, back then it was, get whatever judges you can. And uh, I, I I think the worst of it was I did a 100-something player PTQ uh, limited event. Yeah. 
by myself. Uh huh. With um, one admin person. This was, uh, and we were scorekeeping on index cards. Uh-huh. Uh huh. With players speaking four different languages. <laughs> no event reporter, manual no. like collation, mm -hmm. and one literally one judge uh, in a PTQ. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you imagine you imagine I was busy, um, yeah. and I'm sure there was tomfoolery. You know, this was the wild west of magic. There was, I there was, was going to say, like, how it must be very easy for people that want to do shady things back then to get them done, right? It was. And that's, I mean, it was certainly one of the things that led me to want to change the culture of magic, right? Um, my first pro tour was in Mainz, Germany in 1997. And um, exposure, like, I already knew... I, again, I was I was older than um, most of my peers, um, probably by most of the decade. I was in my mid thirties at this point, um, and uh, like I, I didn't I didn't put up with nonsense at my local events from players, and mm -hmm. uh, you know I I, I wasn't going to let them get away with with. Any kind yeah, of and you were also more disciplined, given your background and all that right. too. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, and I knew how to I knew how to make make and stand by a decision. Uh, uh, and uh, the I got to the pro tour, and yeah, it was it was a little less well regulated than I expected it to be. And 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 again, it really was. It was a time. It was a very bad time for magic. I think. Um, mm. and yeah, I like at, at my first pro tour, I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to garner enough influence to fix this. Um, I, 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 you know, I want to be part of the solution here because this is, I, you know, I, I think, I think this could be a great game, but it's not going to be competitively. It's not going to be a great game under these circumstances. And, um, you know, it took, it took a while. But uh, I think we got there. I think we, I think we did change the culture. What do you think were the major things? I, I, I know, I mean, because obviously I've read, uh, you know, uh, third-party accounts. But from your perspective, like, were there like certain turning points that made this thing go in the right direction? Um, I, I think there were. I think there needed to be a a, a collective political will. Um. And I think it took the the real crux point for me was buy in from the player base. Mm. When players like Chris Bakula were like, "No, we are not hanging out with you if you're a cheater." Right? We we because there were people like, "Yes, my friends all cheat their faces off. I'm not like that, but whatever." I'm like, "Stop hanging out with them." Like. Yeah, but I'm like no, no, yeah, but, and Chris was part of the forefront of the player movement to say let's we're not going to do that, and I think it wasn't until we got players and judges on the same page because I really believe that in the long run, players and judges want the same thing out of an event. They want clean, fair, well 
you know, well-organized, well-run events. You know, right. player player might have the meta goal of winning, but otherwise, you're like we're we're all on the same page. So, like a good event for some players, for for judges, is a good a good event for players. Mm-hmm. Um, judges, you know, judges don't want to be good. Judges don't want to be um, to to have. A, an obvious impact in the game. They want to have right. a massive impact, right? Right. They, they Similar to refs presence. in a sport, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like, like like any other sport, they want the you know clean, organic game to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, once I think once we got that marriage of player and judge, and I it it apparently had never occurred to anybody else to really close the gap between players and judges, between like, like there were the, there were the two separate camps and they're like, no, no, we're all, you know, we're all part of the same bigger family. Um, why don't we, and I, you know, I just started talking to the players. I really brought them in and like, let's do shit together. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, uh, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I want, I want what you want and right let's make it happen together and you have you know you have things that you can do i have things that i can do and then as we get to the whole we'll have a better we'll end up having a better game mm-hmm. and um it would be it was a simple it was kind of a simple thing but sometimes you know it's the it's just the simplest thing that makes the biggest difference absolutely um 80 20 rule, right? Sometimes yeah. uh, 20% of the effort yields 80% of the results. Yeah. If you're I mean, I going in the wrong say, direction, it doesn't matter. So, I, I will say being unapologetic about getting the, the cheaters out of the game was part of it. Was mm-hmm. uh, what it wasn't, I, I wasn't like, I, I didn't need to puff my chest out about it, but I also wasn't going to shy away from it. And um, I developed, I developed at one point the, this habit of talking to some of the, um, more, uh, well-known bad boys on the, on the scene, before, like the night before the event, you know, the night before the event, everybody's in the hall anyway, and they're drafting or playing side events or whatever. So I would just, I would go talk to them. And let them know that I was there. Right. Hi, so and so. Good to see you. Nice to have an event. Hope you have a good weekend. I'm here if you need anything. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they know, you know what's up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of, of course, the message the message was I'm here. Yeah. Um, kind of like the benevolent enforcer or benevolent policeman. Yeah. 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 And um, I think it went along again. Just again, just talking. Like I talked to the players, how do we like? I, I brought players in and talked to them about what are the good cheats right now? Because even the clean players know them, right? Um, so you know what what are what are people doing? What you know what do you see happening at your events that that we might not be catching? And uh, it was an invaluable resource to to getting most of it out of the game. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask, like, what do you think? created the cheaters in the first place? Was it just simply the fact that you have 
competitive events that are <laughs> that with a prize pool? Is that just like something that organically happens with every Prime. instance of a game that tries to do that? Or is it something yes. else? I, I, I believe it does. I be, well, I believe there, there are two things that work there. there there's the incentive, um, which is most of it. You know, I, I would say the, the largest percentage are the incentives for prizes. And, and especially if there's no, if there's no downside to getting caught, like if mm -hmm. there's no real enforcement, um, like you get caught cheating in this event and you can go to the next event and try to cheat again. Right. Uh, then um, there's no deterrent. Really. There's no deterrent. Um, and then there are people that are just pathological. Yeah. And they're, I, I mean, they just don't believe they're doing anything wrong. Really? Like if you're not uh, yeah. cheating, you're not trying hard enough kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there, there were, there are examples of a couple of extremely good players who might've been, highly successful without cheating that right. to be big, super cheaty faced people anyway. Right. Uh, and that, that has to be, again, that has to be pathological. That, that has to be yeah. so inherent that they just can't not. Yeah. And that, and that happens throughout magic's history. Right. I mean, yep. I, even today you hear about people recently, or maybe like in the last decade, they're like, they could have done it without cheating, but because they did that, it just throws all of the records out the door. It's and it's just like there's no rational reason to do it really, but then we're kind of looking at it from our point of view instead of their right. pathological point of view. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, is that also around the time that you kind of learn how to work with wizards, quote unquote, work with wizards, like kind of understanding how obviously judging and the DCI is a little bit different, but like was that sort of the early stages of like learning how to work with this corporate entity or yeah i mean uh, i mean getting being a high level judge was you know was working with with wizards whether it was you know just as part of the routine of being a regular pro tour judge or pro tour head judge um or then you know helping um the the wizards judge manager administer the judge program, right? There, there's a, you know, it was the program in the early 2000s grew uh, large and quickly. And, you know, it was a one person job at Watsi and one person wasn't gonna be able to do it. And that's kind of where um, the, the, the level fives and some of the level fours kind of stepped in and and lent a hand and you know provided uh, both both leadership guidance and 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 administrative support um to the, to the program uh, so yeah i mean we were we were insiders pretty early on although i guess i guess most of a decade later <laughs> isn't early what was it like to work with wizards back then like does it feel very different from I mean, obviously you're just working with different people, but like, was there something distinct about wizards then, like maybe in the nineties or two thousands that, uh, that's unique for that time? Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it still had a small company mentality. It was still, you know, it wizards the coast, even after, after it was sold to Hasbro, um, in the first few years still felt like a, still felt like a Peter's company. Um, you know, it still felt like 
it was it was just a company of other gamers who were doing the thing um and there wasn't uh there wasn't any kind of distance there there was there wasn't there certainly was never well you know the the marketing people want this or the you know the execs want that right uh that that we might hear uh in the 21st century um it was still it still had very home kind of homey um gamers for gamers uh mentality back then It's really interesting to explore your judging past with you because it just feels like, I mean, it just feels to me like you've had quite a hand to play in Magic's history, honestly, right? Between like competitive Magic and being part of that in the scene as a level five and being obviously a leader um, of that movement, uh, working with the players, as you said, uh, to then commander, like, I'm happy that, you know, you were involved in all that and hopefully like history will, you know, mark you down as someone who, who played a hand in like several things. Right. I mean, how do you feel about that? Uh, well, there have been, there have been commander players who told me that I don't know anything about competitive magic, which is fully ironic. <laughs> yes. 200%. Like that's just, it's, that's um, just really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we, we do the things we do, right. We, we do the things, we do the things that we think are good and right. And um, if, 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 we, if we carve a legacy um, for ourselves, then that's what happens. You know, like, I, I, certainly, I certainly didn't go into judging thinking, I'm, here's where I'm gonna make my mark on the world. Um, or uh, I certainly didn't take the seed of an idea of commander um and plant it and water it and grow it and thinking um you know this is where i'm going to make my mark on the world mm-hmm. it's just the thing i was doing um i had You're just a, doing it yeah i'm just doing it right i i when when i retired when i retired the um the uh, colonel that was um emceeing my my retirement ceremony was going back over some of my accomplishments in my air force career and i'm like that sounds like that sounds a lot more impressive now than it did while i was doing it while <laughs> i'm doing it i was just doing the thing that i was supposed to be doing right. and um i i think for the most part that's what we do right we're just we do the thing that that is inherent for us we do the thing that that's ours to do and then um what comes out of that, what comes, what comes out of that? Yeah. We just live, right? We, yeah. we, we, we move through life and we, we do things. Yeah. Yeah. We do things. We yeah. do things that, and hopefully, and hopefully we have a good time and hopefully we make the world a, a better place. Like, I, I mean, I really do want to leave the world a better place than I found it. Um, mm-hmm. and I want to, I want to positively interact with people. Right. I, yeah. I, I want to, I, I want, I want people, I want people to feel better about themselves after, um, we've interacted than, than they did before. Right. I, 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 yeah. It's, it is really, 
is really um, a blessing to be able to be nice to people, right? Yeah. I, I, I count. I I am. I, I find myself very lucky. You, know, you said you take about taking Brian to the, some of the nice the nicer restaurants here. It's like one of my favorite things about my life is that that I can spoil my friends. Like I love that. I, I really. I'm just. I'm. I'm over the moon about the fact that that I can I, I can treat people nicely. And I think you're, you know, that's, this is just me looking back on it. Like your contributions to magic, they, they brought joy or happiness to a lot of people in the aggregate. Um, I hope so. <laughs> uh, no, I, I know so. So, I mean, you hope so, but I know so. Like, I mean, I think the vast majority is going to agree with that. And, and they, magic's brought a lot of joy or commanders brought a lot of joy to people. Um, you know, I, I think that's super just a su just super positive. I mean, I'm just thinking about the fact that like, you don't have to necessarily be, um, a doctor or like saving lives or doing, I don't know. I'm just using an extreme example. I'm not a doctor, but, um, like it, you can figure out how to do things your own way. And it's those experiences, like having a meal with a friend or, or whatnot, like that, that's what really matters in the end. Right. Yeah. But one of the things that uh, I think one of the philosophies I developed really early on in life was I didn't want to do, I wanted to be. And I thought that being would then lead to doing. Like, you, I, like, you know, I wanted to be a kind, generous, resolute um, person. You know, I wanted to be the the, the person who other people turned to in, in times of need and was a, you know, was a bastion of security for them or whatever, um, who never lost their head, you know, I never want to lose my head in a crisis kind of person. And I, I think that if you, if you concentrate more about more on what you are as a human being, it just, it just opens the door to anything that you might do. Then the rest, then the rest is just second, you know, um, you know, if somebody said, well, you're, you're ex-military, it's like, uh, I, I don't know if it's part of my, that's not part of my identity. It, it, right. it was a thing that I did. Um, and it was a thing that I was happy to do because I believe it's necessary. Um, and somebody has to do it. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, I, I think that, I think that, we find ourselves in a better position to do great things if we can be good people. How did that internalize for you? Like, how, how did you figure that out for yourself? Because that's not an easy thing to do, especially um, when you're a 20 year old, like just yeah. figuring out they're trying to figure out your direction in life and playing music, right? So well, how, I, mean, how I, didn't figure, I, I don't think I figured it out at 20. I mean, I think it I think it was something that I came to over the next couple of decades. Um, but it was, it was just eventually realizing that, that it felt good to be good to people. Like the, like the, you know, maybe there's an endorphin rush or something, you know, I, I, I don't know there. It just, the, but the, the real, I think the real answer is like, you know, why, are, why do you do that? And it's because that's the person I want to be. 
And I, I think we, it's, it's okay to have a strong sense of, of being a person, of being a good human being, and then acting, acting consistently with that. And I, I think that you can, you can take a lot of the challenges in life and let them not impact you negatively if you keep focusing on that, right? The life is life is going to hand bad breaks to to all of us, and it's how I think it's how we act when we're at our worst, not when we're at our best. That our that that really shows our character. Um, and I really like I really always wanted to be the person that was um, that was still pretty good at his worst. And, and again, I think that, that again, just thinking about, about wanting to be good human being all the time and, and trying to act that way. Like I'm not, I'm not perfect. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just really, like, I just, I want to treat other people with grace and dignity and kindness and, Man, isn't everything possible from there? It absolutely is. Um, I'm just asking because it's so much easier said than done, at least for me. Like, I, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, and when I think about even my last uh, six months, like, it's been a lot of ups and downs, and I'm sure it's been ups and downs for you and a lot of people. And uh, it's not, um, no, it's, it's not so no, easy not sometimes. It's, yeah. not, it's not it's not easy at all and i think and i think one of the other one of the other real success factors is not beating yourself up when you fall short right right you know we uh, again we're human beings we're we're we're, we're fallible we're, we're flawed um we're gonna have we're gonna have bad days we're not sometimes we're not gonna we're not gonna operate at the level that we that we would like to believe that we can always operate at. Um, right. Uh, and, but then it's all right. You know what? I felt I didn't, I wasn't as good here as I want to be. So what do I learn? What did I learn from it? How do I make it not happen again? Um, mm -hmm. and, and if I need, <laughs> if I need to apologize to somebody, apologize to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And in, in, and apologize without equivocating in any fashion. Right. Like, like I'm, I'm, I am truly sorry that. Without some sort of expectation in return. Yeah. Yep. Nope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This might be a good time to ask you like, um, cause you've been, you've been public with, um, your, your challenges health wise mm -hmm. and, um, like, and, you know, in light of what we just talked about, like, how, how are you, um, processing everything because uh you seem to me like you're very much an optimist and you're very much like you know try to see the the good in situations maybe i'm overreading but like how are you how are you processing you know well challenges I mean, health-wise yeah i mean i've been now six and almost six and a half years um uh you know with cancer hanging on to me and um I, I think at some at some point the road diverges and you you have to either go on or give up and and I don't like 
I just, I don't understand giving up. Like, uh, it, it just, you know, uh, you know, especially in the early days, my wife was like, don't you give up on me? And like, I, I can't. Cause I don't under, like, I don't understand how that would happen. Like, I don't, it's, I don't, I don't understand. That's, that's not who you are. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, again, I just like, what else really, what else is even the most pessimistically, what else is there to do? Right. It, am I going to wallow? Am I going to, am I going to just like cry about my misfortunes? Well, that seems like a waste of time. And, um, I don't want to, uh, you know, if, if my time is going to be shorter than it might have otherwise been, I don't want to waste it. Um, crying about the, the things that weren't, I want to, I want to charge forward and do the things that I can. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not currently as, as we speak, as far as we know, in any imminent danger. Um, but and, you know, I, I think that, I, I think that this is, it's not a great road. Um, but then again, I also believe in medical science. So, uh, you know, I think that you never, you never know what's down there. You know, some very exciting things happening in treatment, um, that weren't, that weren't yet available even when I started. I mean, right. when I was first diagnosed in 2016. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to be positive because mostly because I don't want to waste my own time and I don't want to, I also don't want to irritate anybody else. Like, I don't want to, it's, it's, it's bad enough for me. I don't want it to be bad for you too. Right. Like it's, I, I get that you don't suffer alone and the people that care about you are also impacted. So like, like, I don't, I don't want to drag any of them down any further. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be a Pollyanna about it. Right. It's not that there's nothing wrong. It's just that I mean, we're going to spend our time creatively and positively and, um, do what we can as we can. And again, be sort of be that person that we hope that we can be, um, be that be a source of strength. And, um, and I, I, like, I just don't, I really don't see any other way to do it. Um, uh, well, I, I, as I said, maybe that's not true. I do see another way because there are times, <laughs> you know, there, there are times, there are times when, when darkness can come on you. Um, and you, you think pretty morbid thoughts. Um, but you know, oh, you know, what if, especially when you're in pain, um, or, or feeling bad, uh, like, uh, what if this is as good as it gets? Um, and, uh, those are the times you really have to count on your support network. And, you know, I happen to be fortunate that I have an amazing partner and, you know, a great um, group of local friends and, oh, by the way, a worldwide community um, that's rooting for me. 
right? So I have yeah. like, you know, I have a million places that I can turn, you know, I have, I have the resources that I need to, to, to weather this storm. So, um, I feel like, I, I feel like it's just, man, I, 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 I can't complain about anything. Right. I, I don't, right. I don't, it's like, a, it's, again, worry, worry is wasteful and useless. And, um, this thing, uh, I, I said it, I said it early on, this thing might kill me, but it is never going to, it's never going to beat me. It is never going to defeat me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to, I'm going to stare it in the face and like, all right, come at me, bro. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, yeah, like I said, I, I want, I want to live and sometimes living sometimes living is doing big splashy things sometimes living is just you know sitting with the cat on your lap and watching hill street blues reruns it's <laughs> you know it's, it's just being sometimes yeah it, sometimes it's, it, it it really is just being and um you know the weird thing is unlike cancer is so is so it's not like other diseases in that most of most of what's negatively impacted me so far isn't the disease itself, but the treatment. It's the, the treatment, right? Yep. Yeah. It's the it's the radi it's the radiation and the chemotherapy and the immunotherapy and whatnot. Because um, you know, I'm not going to lie, radiation and chemo are, are not a walk in the park, and. Um, it's yeah that you you understand like there are days there are days you just you don't you can't crawl out of bed um i mean for, again fortunately for me that they haven't that, that's been a while in the past um you know, the worst the, the heaviest of my treatments are more than a year a year behind me but um mm -hmm. uh you know there are days that there are days that you just gotta like you know what this is all i can do today you know, if it's all mm -hmm. I can do to to make it from um, from the bed to the couch, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and yeah. uh, and and again, you never you never get down on yourself for it. You just you you continue on. And yeah. Um, uh, and and, and sur surrendering some control of your life is okay at that point. Like letting letting the people who care about you take care of you um is a thing and i know there are a lot of people that, that think that being strong means being stoic and i don't think that's the case at all i think actually being strong is having the strength to be as emotional as you think you need to be but also just let people let people take care of you um, right you know i, I i've been I've been, um, I've, I've told people, anybody who cares to listen about the fact that, uh, in my, during my first, actually during both rounds of radiation that I went through, um, my, some of my closest friends, uh, Toby Elliott and Scott Larrabee stopped their lives and came and took care of me for a while so that my wife could go back to work. Right. Like. Toby was like, 
I'll do my job. You know, I can do my job remotely. I will just come live with you for a week or two. And I mean, I, I mean, he came down here, drove me to treatments, um, cooked for me, everything, so that um, so the correction can go back to go back to traveling for work. And um, I, I, you have to let people do that kind of thing. And I think that that's a um, yeah, I know a lot of people will say that that uh, that cancer will tell you a lot about yourself, and you get it, it will tell you a lot about other people too. It'll it'll tell yeah. you a lot about who your friends are, and um, yeah. and everybody in my even remote circles has just stepped up so well and done such an amazing job of of being supportive and and being there when I need and. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, I, I couldn't ask for any better help getting through what I'm getting through. Yeah. Are, are you a spiritual person? Like, do you think about, um, that, I mean, just in terms of like, I'm, I'm curious what your belief systems are, um, I, I'm with respect not a spiritual to that. person. Um, I, I know that I don't know anything. Um, like maybe, maybe. When, when I slip off this mortal coil, all universal truths will be revealed to me. And it's so great. Um, uh, I, I think it doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, I, I forget which philosopher said, you know, a person can never truly know that they're dead. Um, mm -hmm. because if, if, if there's nothing, uh, in the afterlife, no, well, then you're gonna, then you're going to know nothing if there is any of the um, the spiritual afterlives. Then you're going to be living the the spiritual afterlife and really not know anything about the the you know right. this life that we live now. Um, yeah, I'm committed. I'm I'm committed to this life, and then uh, what happens after is whatever happens. Uh, but yeah, you know, certainly, certainly, I've I've pondered my own mortality more than once. Uh, oh, and, I'm sure everyone has on earth. Yeah. yeah but especially uh, given the last like six and a half years or I, I'm yeah. sure that has happened for you. Right. Yeah. And uh, again, when, when you're, when your thoughts turn darkest, I think it's, uh, you, you let them happen. You know, like you, you, you don't run away from them. Uh, but you don't, you don't give into them either. Right. You don't like, right. uh, you know, you don't, you don't get nihilistic. Um, you just, you, you get through as best as you can. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what is on the other side of the door. Uh, and to me at this point, it, it really it is a non-factor. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do what's what I can on this side. Yeah. You're going to be who you are in this moment. Yep. Um, in the moment, really in the moment. Yeah. That's great. And, uh, about Toby and Scott, like, I know they're your partners in the rules committee, but it sounds yeah. like this, this friendship is like way more than just, a, a work friendship or relationships. So like, how did that happen? Like, how did you guys develop that, that bond over time? Um, Scott and I were, we worked our first event together. Him as a TO, he was at wizard already. Um, and me as a judge at Grand Prix Dallas in the year 
in the year of our Lord, two ought, ought, ought. Um, and um, we started, you know, we were just, we would see each other at events and we got friendly and, you know, we just kind of became friends. And then Toby and I became friends through the JET program. And one thing about Toby, you know, Toby was, uh, was, Toby was pretty much a level behind me the whole way up. And uh, one of the things I always appreciated about him was when we would be at a pro tour or a big TP or something, and he wanted to hang out with me. He wanted to hang out with me because he wanted to hang out with me, not because there, he thought that there was something I could do for him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was no, mm -hmm. there was no sort of, um, there was no, uh, no ulterior motive, really. Yeah, there was, yeah, no ulterior motive, no, no agenda there. He was just like, hey, let's hang out. You know, we, we have some similar interests and so forth and so on. Um, so we were all pretty close already um, before we invited Toby in 2007, Scott in 2008 to join the, the Commander RC. Like we, you know, like the, the, our, our friendships were already there. Um, and uh, Scott, was a, Scott was a person who who infected Wizards of the Coast with, with Commander, with EDH back then. Um, yeah. And uh, the, I, th I think one of the successes of Commander as a, more than a format, right? Um, as a way of life. For as magic. a way of life. <laughs> uh, yeah. As in the commander, as in the static, Oscar Wilde would have been a commander player. Um, yes, is is due to in part the perfect storm that happened with the people who have who were who were charged with running it. Um, we were we were all people who were, had already had success in our lives and were a little older and didn't need to make our bones in any way. Um, mm. So we, we could do, we, we could, we could literally have our hobby um, be a thing that we did without needing to, without needing to monetize it. Um, mm. Cause I think like, like we could have gone in there, someone in our position could have gone that direction early on and I think it would have been problematic, but we never needed to. Um, yeah. So uh, where where we were in our lives, I think was was very important. Um, that that we could just dedicate time, you know, like we had, we all had the luxury of time um, to to dedicate to growing commander, and um, it it came through, right? It, we we. We didn't need to, we didn't need for it to be anything other than it was. And we were already, we were already insiders, right? We were, but you know, we were high level judges or, um, you know, Toby and I level five judges, Scott was the pro tour manager and, or, you know, a high, highly placed in organized play. Um, and Gavin was a Canadian regional coordinator and net rep. And so we you know, like the four of us were, we were already people on the inside of magic 
um, as we were growing Commander. We didn't have to come from outside uh, to, to do it. So we already had access to the people that we needed to talk to. Um, and I, I'd like to believe, at least, you know, we had already garnered enough trust and respect from people that, you know, that we knew what we were doing when it came to uh, managing format. So you mentioned uh, access being one, right? Just being a little bit more uh, developed for you. What about the decision-making itself, right? Because, you know, you obviously have to make decisions as a as a team. And, like, did, did, were there advantages to, you know, being older and wiser at that point already and, like, not having maybe less of an ego, I, I might dare say? Or yeah. I, I don't know. How, how do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... I think... Again, being being already skilled at decision making um, was was a, a positive. Um, you know, not only not only were we um, a little older, we had already advanced to places in our careers where um, it, we had the weight of decision making on us. Right? They, you know, we 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 weren't junior people. Um, so, you know, that, that was something we already knew how to do. Um, and I think that, you know, the fact that we were close also meant that we could talk to each other when we disagreed. Um, we, we could talk to each other, uh, or if, you know, if we disagreed, um, you know, there haven't been, there have been too many points over the years where there have been there were real strong disagreements um, within the RC. Uh, there have been a c couple of times that that one of us was slow to come around to an idea that others were. Um, like I was the last I was the last convert on mana production. I don't I don't even know if you remember the days when you could only produce the color of mana of your commander's color identity. Um, you know, if you were in Jund and you tried to, uh, produce white, it would just come out coverless. And, um, we changed that in 2013 or 14. Uh, and they had probably, like, the other, the other three had probably worked on me for most of, you know, half a year or more before I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, come on, man. It's, it's a really cool part. <laughs> and... <laughs> And the argument was, it never comes up in a game. And I'm like, of course it doesn't come up in a game because it can't. Uh, <laughs> turns out it, it, doesn't, it doesn't much come up in the game. So, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, we, so we were, we were relatively close. We had worked closely together already. Um, and, yeah, I like, like all the elements. Um, I, I, I think there was less of an ego involved. Um, that's a... That's a pretty a, a pretty salient point there that we just you know none of us had anything to prove by them um both either internally or externally like you know to each other or to the world so we just you know we just operated um how we thought best was there a point where you decided to be more involved on the commander side of things as opposed to to judging was it a clean split or were you doing like kind of both and transitioning one off into the other 
Um, I was doing both, but there was a there was a point where it it was um, where I knew that I or where I felt as though I didn't have much more to give the pro the judge program. I was like, you know, um, the the program the program was was reaching a different stage of maturity, um, and I think it takes different it takes different skill set to conquer than it does to rule. And um, uh, we were we were done with the conquest, and it was time to let other people. It's kind of like a uh, wartime versus peacetime CEO kind of yeah. deal, right? Situational. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I felt like, I felt like it was, you know, okay. Um, I'll, I'll take time and do other things. And yeah, commander, if this was 2011 commander was starting to, to sort of ramp up. Um, and I was like, eh, let me, let, let me see if I can spend my time doing something else and, um, and retired, but like, the minute, the minute I retired, uh, Watsi reached out to me. It's like, so do you want to come work on our pro tour coverage team? I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I did that. I did that until I went back to school, and um, uh, I, I wasn't aware there was a um, the post nine eleven GI Bill that paid you to go to school. Mm. And I'm like, huh? How about that? So uh, uh, it, it just so happened that the University of South Florida is uh, was right near where we lived at the time. And I'm like, huh, let me see, let me see what they have. And they have a they have a an excellent um, English department. And uh, I yeah, I was like, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go go get an English degree. And I ended up. Ended up getting two, in fact. Oh wow! Um, okay, English uh, English literature or yeah, English literature. I got a I got a bachelor's and a master's, um, uh, with a specialization in in film and Shakespeare. Ah, okay. But you've been a, a Shakespeare enthusiast throughout, right? Not just you yeah, know before going to school. My whole life, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I always said if I went into a PhD program, probably my work would have been writing the definitive book about Shakespeare on film. Uh, okay. And, you know, nothing's stopping me from writing that book right now. That's right. Well, I mean, other except than uh, your other this, uh, commitments, yeah. right? <laughs> except this cat on my lap and, yeah, and the 90 other things that I'm doing at the moment. What, what's your... Um... What's your favorite work by Shakespeare? Is it possible to list one? It's kind of it's it's hard, right? It's like saying what's your favorite album or something, right? Yeah, I mean, the 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 the, the sort of crown jewel of my portfolio um, was a paper about Henry V, uh, and it's certainly the play that I'm the most familiar with, um, and. Uh, watching Branagh's 1989 adaptation of it uh, was certainly part of what really got me interested um, as an adult in Shakespeare. 
Um, but yeah, I talk, I talk about um, how uh, not only does Henry kick the French out of his country, he kicks them out of his language um, uh, in, in the play. Uh, yeah. Every, all the famous speeches, he, he, he demonstrates that he, he knows how to speak um, rhetorically uh, like the like the great orators of the day, uh, and then every important speech he gives in the play heavily leans on Germanic language as opposed to, to Latin based language. Mm. Um, so okay. uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Henry V, um, but it only goes so far emotionally. Um, uh, it's it's a relative it's relatively cut and dry kind of thing. You, you're you're going to pick sides. I mean, it's it's definitely an anti-war. It's definitely an, people like um, Olivier made it into a into a sort of a yeah. Pro there's different interpretations. Yeah, interpretation. But I mean, but um, a Churchill asked him to like Churchill in 1943 like dialed up Olivier it was like. Um, Hey, we're having morale trouble. What can you do? And mm. Olivier is like, well, I, I can turn Henry V into a flag waver if you want me to, and he did. Um, but uh, it, I think, as written, it's a, it's a very it's very much an anti-war. It's an anti-war piece, mm -hmm. uh, which Branagh which Branagh did with it when he adapted it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's really hard to pick because um, there's a reason. There's a reason we're still talking about Shakespeare 450 years later, right? Um, and it's because he it's because he understood he understood the human condition and uh, he understood real human emotion and um, the if I were if I were to if I were to um, recommend a play to people that they may not be familiar with. Uh, it's called Coriolanus. Um, and it's about, it's actually about a war hero who, uh, who comes back and tries to get involved in political life. Um, mm. And things don't necessarily go the way he had hoped they might. Um, and there's a, um, there's a great 2012 or 2013 adaptation with Gerard Butler and um, holy crap, I'm drawing a blank. Um, <laughs> it's okay. That's uh, that's set in a modern, just like set in a modern um, Gulf War kind of uh, setting. Oh, uh, uh, Ray Fines. Ray Fines. Ray Fines. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, uh, excellent. Really excellent adaptation um, of a okay. of a somewhat of a sometimes problematic play. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's, it's hard because there are so many of them. Uh, I once wrote a paper on how Portia is the best man in, um, a merchant of Venice. Hmm. Okay. So I, I think, I think that's the one that I think that has, has a lot more emotion into it than, uh, than some of the others. Yeah. I've always been more partial to um, Richard III. I think it's because um, 
Maybe it's like watching the Al Pacino adaptation at an early age because uh -huh. our English teacher made us watch it in high school. Or just, I don't know what it was, but like, there's something very human about that play for me. And obviously, I'm not as well versed as you are. I didn't read all the all the plays or like, uh, you know, like the one you mentioned or watch the adaptation. But um, for me, it's still got to be like Richard III or Hamlet just as like, uh, or Macbeth. I think Macbeth was like, our teacher really got us into that one as well. And we had to like mm -hmm. reenact the plays in class. So I think that had a, I, I think I'm partial to that because I'm still like, for me, I'm still in that time capsule where I'm, you know, 16 years old and reading that for the first time. So have you, have you seen that? Ian McKellen, um, Richard the Third. I haven't, but I, I'm sure that's way more definitive, right? So I probably should. No, it's a. It's actually set in a. It's actually set in a kind of um, Third Reich-ish. Uh, ah, it's one of those like in a in a different setting. Near modern settings, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, uh, yeah. Well, Ian McKellen is great. But you, you know, you you talked about the the. Um, the Pacino, the Pacino film, um, looking for Richard. They yes. That's never, what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. yeah I got mixed up. He never, yeah. he never, he never finished making that, that adaptation. Like they never finished making the film of that play. Right. Um, that's what it was. Which about. is what yeah. the movie was all about. Right. Um, and why right. it didn't come together. Um, yeah, that was his white uh, whale, I guess. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my memory is like failing me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's um so just going back to the the you know, working with the others on on Commander and on mm -hmm. RC. Um at what point did you kind of wake up one day and realize like Commander hit the inflection point where it suddenly was like I'm I'm sure it's not like an overnight thing, but like was there a particular moment or moments where you you're like, wow, this is this is the big kahuna now. It wasn't it wasn't particularly epiphanous, but um whatever the whatever the predecessor to Scryfall was, I mean magic cards out it used to be called magic cards out info. Mm -hmm. And one day I went on there to do a search and commander color identity was was now uh, a selection you could make. Mm. And that was that was sort of the the um the the moment where I knew that we had stepped on the gas. That was like what, maybe six, seven years ago, maybe longer? I don't know. Longer, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Yeah, it was it was certainly middle of the last decade. Okay. Okay. I mean, so much has happened, but like this is why I love talking to you because you have the long view of magic and commander, like <laughs> over the past, uh, seven, eight years, like, are there particular moments that really stand out to you? Um, yeah, the, like command fest was the, the first command fest were, were really something. Um, I was in, Seattle already working at Wizards of the Coast as a designer on Strixhaven. Um, and the first command fest came around and I'm like, well, don't have to travel very far to go. And first day of the first command fest, um, 
got there early, got in, found a place to sit down, you know, set my stuff up. So, you know, people wanted to come in and play, we play. And um, about an hour after the hall opened, I just happened to stand up and stretch my back. I'm like, like uh, okay, and, you know, like just get the kings out. And he stood up and I looked around the room and there are a thousand plus people on a Friday morning playing commander. And I would have never thought that there would have been a thousand people worldwide playing it at one point, you know, at one point in my life, back in the day. Um, and, uh, it was there. Yeah, it was, it was just one of those moments where like, man, look at this. Look at all these people who are here enjoying themselves. And, uh, uh, you know, I got to admit, it felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. And seeing, like, just seeing the rise of of people getting the message, right? The one of the one of the consistent messages of Commander has been, "We're not like other formats. Um, you know, we're we're the only format that has a philosophy. Uh, you know, I I started saying recently, we're the only format that has a conscience." And, um, the, we were always strident about the message of diversity and inclusivity that we wanted to promote, that, that we wanted commander to be something different than tournament magic, that we wanted, we wanted to be a change, right? Um, and. There have been a lot, a lot of times along the way, people are like, well, you, you know, you need to make Commander like other formats. Like, no, the other formats are already doing what other formats are doing. We need mm-hmm. there to be a different thing. We want there to be a different thing. And we knew, I, I, I suspected that there were other people that that message was going to resonate. Um, the number of people with whom the message resonated were orders of magnitude larger than I ever expected. Like the there's there's a reason there's a reason Commander um, became the most popular Magic format ever, and the I think the I think the internal message is a this is a significant part of that. I think mm-hmm. that 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 you don't need to you don't need to be the best player. You don't need to be highly competitive. All you need to do, all you need to have is a desire to have a good time with some other people. And, and that makes you a successful commander player. And, uh, yeah, like I said, way more, way more people, uh, put their arms around that than, um, than I ever thought. Right? Um, and I'm certainly not sad about it. Right. The, the, again, the fact that we, we could, we could help make a lot of people very, very happy. Um, Sweeps me on a, on a very deep level. Absolutely. And um, I, I don't know, so I'm going to ask. Do you have you ever thought about like things like what would keep Commander going for another fifty years? 
or what would be a series of events that might make that, well, I guess, first of all, is that even something that you're concerned about, like uh, long-term longevity of commander? And if it is, do you think about what are the potential events that could not make that happen? Like, I, I guess it's a kind of longevity question, really. But is that something that you you put any thought behind or, or as a collective you guys do? Um, yeah, a absolutely. This is certainly something that I spent a lot of hours thinking about. Um, what, like, I think, I think we're at, we're at the, sort of at the legacy point. Like, I, I, you know, I really want to think about tomorrow. Um, and not, not necessarily just because, um, that, Either, you know, my tomorrow might be threatened. It's that, you know, it's at the point. Like, it's, you know, I, I, it's a natural maturity point now. Um, uh, you know, we've conquered the world. Now what do we do? Um, right. And uh, I, I, I want us to do the next great thing for Commander that we can do, whatever that is, and provide for its longevity is one of those things, um, which is the reason... W a significant reason that we added two people to the to the Commander Rules Committee last year. Um, uh, you know, Olivia and Jim are uh, a couple of decades younger than I am. <laughs> and, uh, well, I guess are a couple of decades younger than most of us. Um, so, uh, you know, they're, they're the, and, and they're the kind of great leaders that I think will shepherd, be able to shepherd the format into its future. Um, then collectively, we're going to sit with them and discuss what that future might be. Like, what do we want that future to be? I mean, personally, I, I think that the next thing that the, that the rules committee can do is provide value added service to the community. Like, we don't need to we don't need to acquire commander players anymore. Um, mm. Not that we ever actually tried, needed to very much. Yeah, it's kind of organic, um, right? Yeah, right. But at this point, at this point, like momentum is just going to carry us forward with acquisition. You know, commander, commander for now is the the way that people are getting involved in just playing Magic in general. Um, so, what, like, how do we how do we now make things better? For everybody that is already that is that is coming on board or that's already on board, um, so I, I think that things like helping provide tools for uh, developing the language necessary to navigate um, uh, games in environments in unfamiliar environments. You know, when you go to Command Fest and you're playing with people that you don't know. With, that you don't know, how do you have that pregame conversation? What are some what are some arrows that you can put into your quiver um, for for that? Um, is the kind of thing that that we can help with, um, and we can we can certainly continue to be advocates for a certain style of play. You know, again, the the this is not tournament play kind of play, and and that's. That's a message that, that needs to keep getting reinforced because 
new players come in, many of them come from tournament formats and want to bring a tournament mentality. Well, tournament form, you know, tournament mentality is fine, but that's over there. We're doing something different over here. Right. Again, we're, we're, we're considering the, the collective experience as opposed to the individual experience. Right. And, um, we want to have, we want to develop some tools to make sure that, that folks can, can find the best experience wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, and I want to, I want to see if there is room for us to do things like sub formats. Um, uh, you know, we've, we've had a lot of fun with the, you know, most of the most of the fun that I've had in commander games, some of the best fun I've had in commander games the past several years have been in power limited environments, have been in playing boxing league, or we did Innistrad plane constructed and had some fun with it, or um, pre-EDH, uh, which yep. is nothing, nothing is legal F from the time Commander product was released forward. So New Phyrexia is the latest set that you can build anything from, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is what I played with uh, Brian and I played with um, uh, Cedric from um, uh, One More Mana and uh, Professor on Shuffle Up and Play, which was mm -hmm. a good time. Or, you know, just playing the pre-constructed decks together have been a blast. Um, so sub formats are a thing that I really want to think about. And then kind of just like, what else can we, what, what, what good work can we do in the community? What, what can we do to promote, um, new content creators? Like in, existing content creators have their audiences and they're fine. And, you know, and we want to support them and, um, and do what we can for them. But I think, we also have a responsibility to grow the next generation of content creators. And how do we find them? Well, we go look, right? We may have to actively spend time both finding and encouraging them and, and providing opportunity for them. Um, right. Whether that's, you know, whether that's um, having them as guests on the, on our stream, being guests on their streams, you know, whatever it is that we can do uh, to do that. And I think especially, I mean, especially for people from traditionally marginalized groups, I think it's a good idea for people in the, um, in the leadership group to, to say, no, we, we want everybody here. So let's, let's, let's talk to, let's talk to folks about how we can get new content creators and maybe even how, um, folks might, uh, develop the skills that they need to possibly step into a commander advisory group role someday, or, uh, you know, the, the, the spaces are few and far between, but you never know, you know, even into a rules committee role someday. So if we can help people develop skills, um, which have more more than just applications for commander by the way um uh you know it's about it's about social skills and it's about um uh working with groups of people so 
any help we can give there, I I would be very, very happy to. Um, so move, yeah, moving into just doing more community-based work, I think is something that um, is in our both near and long-term future. Yeah. And I think to your credit, you have been doing that because whenever I read one of your articles on Star City, there's always an invitation to join the conversation in the Discord. Or when I click on your Twitter bio, there's only like two links. It's like, here's the RC Discord or here's the, here's the Commander Discord. And so I think you're actually compared to like the rest of Wizards, I dare say, actually ahead of the pack in terms of like wanting to um, even, even though they seem quite simple in implementation, first of all, there's nothing wrong with simplicity, but secondly, like it's a direct invitation or call to join the conversation literally. So it's like, yeah. I, I feel like very much to your credit, you are living those kinds of values. If I may dare, if I may dare say like, like it's, it's a very open invitation. And so, um. I love the fact that despite these simple solutions, there was clearly in my mind, like a lot of intentionality and thinking behind that. So. Oh, well, first, thanks for recognizing it. Um, and second, um, yeah, I mean, there have been people that there are people that have been, have either been shut out of the conversation or discouraged from the conversation. And we don't want that to happen. Right. We, I, I, I really want. I really want things to be open. And that's why, that's why we spend time, like you can actually find us on the Discord server. Um, I know one of the criticisms of years gone by was that the RC was this sort of ivory tower group that never talked to anybody. Um, uh, I think that was, I think it was incorrect in the first place because, mm -hmm. you know, we were traveling to magic events all the time. Right. Um, like like after I, I after I quit coverage, um, I certainly you know it was a couple of years before I went to another event, but um, you know Scott and Toby and Gavin at that point were still out and judging and and running events and stuff like that, so they were out and were using it as an opportunity to talk to the commander player base as much as possible. Um, but now I mean we have electronic tools that we can use and. I actively spend time in the, on the discord server, just there and, um, come talk to me, <laughs> yeah. like, just come talk to me. Uh, mm -hmm. and if I can, if I can do anything to remove roadblocks for anybody to, um, to, to sort of, um, maximizing their commander experience, I'm going to give it a whirl. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I just want to acknowledge too, is like having now had interactions with rebel Sun or Rachel weeks and various people through this podcast. Um, I can also see that, um, you personally, but also the commander, um, collective has been doing a lot to try to raise the, the voices of these, um, I would say like current or next generation of content people, because like you're living that value as well. Like just. The fact that, um, you know, I was talking to Rachel about, about you actually, before we recorded, um, and, uh, she said that, you know, you gave her her first big shot, big, big break because you, 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 you put yourself out there and you endorsed uh, command spear. 
you know, and now she's very much a, um, I, I would say a big part of the commander community, not just being in the keg, but just her work, yeah. right. Um, continuous yeah. work. And, um, I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, stuff like that. It's really easy to, it's really easy to get behind good people though. Right. Yeah. Like, Rachel. I mean, the two that you mentioned, right. Rachel and rebel are just like two amazing people. Um, so, so advocacy for them is advocacy for them is, is really kind of a slam dunk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, it is, it really is a slam dunk. It's a slam dunk on the nine foot rim. Uh, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, cause I mean, Rachel, Rachel, uh, Rachel was crushing it when they started command sphere, like the first couple episodes. And I have to, I actually have to thank Jim, um, for turning this, me on this is Jim to, LePage. Yeah. Jim LePage, yeah. Okay. For turning me on to Dan and Rachel and um and and Command Sphere. And I'm like, oh my. Like the first episode I was like, oh, these two are these two are great. And then, yeah. you know, I started listening to episodes and just started talking to both of them. And yeah, and uh, Rachel uh, Rachel is just amazing balls and I I absolutely think the world of her. And um, she is, she is crushing it now on Command Zone podcast. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm halfway through, I'm halfway through the recent episode right now. And I'm like, I, uh, I just met Rachel, uh, in LA, uh, a few weeks ago. I was there. Uh, I actually visited the Command Zone house, um, with Josh and, and Jimmy, cause I interviewed Josh on here and uh, he's like, Hey, come and uh, meet me in real life. And Rachel was there as well. And, uh, yeah, it was a good Sweet. time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she seems really happy in, in her role, if I may say so. Yeah. Yeah. When she, she, she had mentioned that to me when they were in the early stages and I'm like, go for it. Like just, just go, you're going to be, you're going to be, a, you're going to be amazing. Um, she's just got an easy. She has this great facility with people. You're very comfortable yeah. in front of the camera, obviously. But like we spent um, last year in Indianapolis, as a matter of fact, um, at Command was it Command Fest? Anyway, there was an event, and it like blurs. Was, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the two of us, the two of us, just hung the whole weekend and. Um, there was actually, there was, there was one like really kind of touching moment where it was clear. It was clear if you were paying attention that I was, I was struggling a little bit and she took the time. Um, she took the time to walk me back to my hotel room. Like, like we, you know, we were at an attached, you know, attached to the convention center hotel and she took the time to leave the hall and make sure that I got back. Okay. Um, to my room to, to rest a little bit. Um, yeah. and yeah, we just had breakfast and all the time and talked commander and, um, and then hung out and, you know, hung out and met the people and everything. And yeah, she's just super. And then I had chance to hang out with rebel at, um, uh, SCG con New Jersey. Cause she's, you know, she drove across the river and, um, actually went to dinner with me and Brian at one of his favorite spots, um, near his house. Oh, nice. And, um, 
Uh, yeah, just had another good weekend. Uh, I, 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 and Rebel is just another person that I can't say enough good things about because we're talking about a first-rate brain. Like yes. we are talking about a, a distinct and unique magic mind right there. Yeah, very, very distinct, very innovative, I dare say. Like really pushing mm -hmm. the envelope of what mm -hmm. magic can be not just commander, but, um, yeah. I had a really good conversation with her, like for this podcast. And it was just like, just incredible. Like yeah. just, just, uh, it's like when you have people from all these different backgrounds and then marry them with magic, it's just something super wonderful. Like it's, it's yeah. just not something like it, it like I, I hate to refer to rebel as like an entity, but like rebel could not have existed. Like. 30 years ago in magic. Like when I started no. playing in revise, like my mind would have been blown at the stuff that like rebels I, doing today. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think that 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Actually yeah. <laughs> that we might not have been ready. For rebels. That's right. But, but, That's but right. what's important is that we are today. What's important is that we're all here now and we're so much better for having these, yeah. these voices. And, yeah. and we are so much better. We're so much better for having these diverse voices and these distinct personalities in our community and, and our collective uh, is uh, like the collective strength of our community is not to be undervalued. Um, and, and like, I just, I just think we just can continue to do good things with, with and for good people. And we, you know, and we've been given the opportunity because of the game. Absolutely. But you yeah. know, commander, commander has always been a social format first and a mechanical one second. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that there are people who, who, who see it as a mechanical one first and believe it. And, um, and you know, I, I want to support them in that the way we're going to manage the format, it's always going to be social first, right? Mm -hmm. We're, you know, I'm not going to tell anybody they're having fun wrong. Mm -hmm. We're simply going to, we're simply going to hang ourselves out on the edge of being socially and morally responsible in everything we do. And that's, I mean, that's what I want our takeaway to be, right? That we, we did something other than play the card game. Sheldon, thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me today. I think it was well, thanks um, for having me. It was fun. I, absolutely I can't wonderful. I, I know, I know. It just flew by, and uh, I'm I'm so glad we went into the areas that we did because you know I want to have that conversation with you about the things that you're not being asked about like a hundred million times, and I, I think we did have that conversation. So I'm very happy about it. We, we, we absolutely did. And it's, it's, it was, it's fun and refreshing to, to, um, to do it. Right. Like, I'm, a, I, I'm happy to do any interview. Um, but I, I like, I don't, I don't, I don't like giving the, the same answer that I've given before. Right. I, I really do appreciate your, um, your willingness to ask the, the question that, that others have left on the cutting room floor. Thank you so much for just being an open book, uh, or open deck list, maybe depending on the metaphor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope, 
I, I wish you all the best, my friend, and I hope you have Thanks. a great rest of the, the evening. Yeah. You do the same. I will talk to you very, very soon.